Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 59, the one about copywriting resources, the everything VR and AR and funky marketing podcasts, and X-Files, I want to believe. Let's get on with the show. And welcome everyone to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. And as always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He is the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. This is truly the highlight of my week to spend time with a man who's also on the mission to keep marketing simple the voice of the Marketing and Finance podcast and the host of the Roger video series. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, fantastic, Pascal. And this is episode 59. And as always, we've got a lot to talk about, some great content spotlights. And later on, we're going to be talking about the second, I think it's the second, the second X-Files film. This is an extra special uh, film marketing, maybe even extra extended. That's all I'll <laughs> say ab about it. And I can assure our viewers and listeners that the show will improve vastly from this point on. Yeah, the X-Files I Want to Believe, which was released in 2008. We'll get to that later. But first things first, Pascal, let's head straight into the news. And according to new research by LinkedIn, more than two-thirds of chief marketing officers are concerned that less time in the office with colleagues will negatively impact creativity. That's interesting. Major UK brands including Virgin Media, O2, Sky, British Gas, Ben & Jerry's and SSE have signed an open letter calling on COP26 decision makers and technology platforms to take immediate action on stamping out climate change misinformation. Well, US rapid delivery brand GoPuff has expanded internationally for the first time by opening in the UK, offering groceries, home products, baby and pet essentials and over-the-counter medicine. Rolls-Royce has gained a cash injection totaling $405 million for the development of small nuclear reactors to generate clean energy. The SMR, the small modular reactor business, could create 40,000 jobs for the UK economy by 2050. Wow, well, Airbnb is upgrading its service with features to support hosts with guests who are using the platform for longer stays with a free insurance policy, Roger, of $1 million in damage protection and liability coverage. <laughs> Fantastic. Teddy bears are a universal symbol for comfort and security with the cuddly toys often evoking memories of emotional soothing as a child. IKEA's latest ad campaign shows a set of adorable bears providing companionship and literal security as they guard a home's front door. Mm, while Twitter and Viacom CBS have announced a partnership that will see the social network streaming news, sports and entertainment shows from across the Viacom CBS portfolio. And finally, YouTube is removing the dislike count button from its videos. The button will still be available and channel owners will be able to see the number of dislikes on a particular video, but the public won't be able to see the count. Hmm. So, Pascal, let's jump back to that first um, I item of news, the, the one about LinkedIn, that two-thirds of SMOs, CMOs, are concerned that less time in the office with colleagues will negatively impact creativity. The reason I highlighted this one this week is that I've had this conversation with some of my clients. Now, there's one particular client who, before the lockdown, was always insistent on face-to-face -face meetings. Now, obviously, I live in 
um, Edinburgh, and this particular client lived in London. And it was always a necessity for me to travel to London for the meetings because the guy's view was you can't be creative over video and you have to be face to face now i think that the pandemic has effectively changed that person's attitude and we believe that we can be just as creative over zoom or over teams or whatever it is that we use but i thought it was interesting that the majority of cmos are thinking that you know you can't really be creative unless you're actually face to face so what do you think I think what people um, should understand is that the world has moved on and the world has mm-hmm. changed. It is true to say that if your career in marketing over the next year or so is you at home or working remotely in a co-working center without talking to your colleagues, I, I would argue that, that that's not a, a good thing to do. But what about a nice, balanced, or dare I say, hybrid approach, Roger, mm-hmm. of discussing, reflecting um, remotely, and indeed yeah. having video calls, but then you organize indeed an in-person event to bring all this research phase into conclusion where decisions are made and and, and people can interact with, it, with their colleagues. But this idea of your creativity will suffer because you're not in the office with your colleagues, I, I, I can't agree with that because I would argue that in the last 18 months, now 20 months nearly, I've been yep. at my most creative because I've got all that extra time not spent traveling yep. in reading yep. books, listening to podcasts, and, and indeed spending time with you. Yeah, and, and, and in, indeed, you know, uh, I often said to this person, you know, it takes me six hours door to door to travel from Edinburgh to London. And whilst you might be there sat waiting for me to arrive, all fresh and, you know, only just arrived, where I've been up since about 4 a.m., so I might actually be creatively tired by the time I get to London. So actually, you know, I think you're right, a balance has to be struck. So what do you think of teddy bears? Very fond of them. There is a mm. um, a bit of a custom, a bit of a tradition in France where you keep your first teddy bear uh, for the duration of your life. So when you are um, one, you know, on your first birthday, you are um, given, gifted, although you won't remember because you're far too young, you gifted your first proper teddy bear and mm. you keep that. I've lost mine when I moved to England in the early 90s, and I'm still a little upset about it because my brothers and sisters and and even my grandparents still had their very first teddy bear. And it's just fascinating what has happened and the, the symbolic of it because actually uh, a bear, the real one, they're very nasty creatures. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think it's just fascinating how over time, particularly in the Western culture, it has become the the teddy bear. Am I right in thinking that in one of the um, This Week in History, you told us story of the invention of teddy bear based on the u.s president i think that's right yeah that of course i did yeah that's that that's fascinating isn't it and it's just a universal thing isn't it i think everybody can associate with teddy bears and it's and it's exactly right what the news item said about evoking memories of emotional and soothing and, and just comfort I, I think that's that's really good and <laughs> I I might put this in the links as well, actually, Pascal, but I came across a video a while back, um, and it's one of the most joyous videos I think I've ever seen. Now, there's a a theme park, I think it's in Holland, it's called Wallaby Holland, and they have this new roller coaster, it's called Untamed, and it's really quite an intense ride. And what they did is they filled the car the train of the roller coaster with these gigantic teddy bears <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> and, and actually strapped them in as you would strap in normal 
um, customers. And then they obviously had a, a camera on the front of the uh, the train, and they just filmed these teddy bears going on this ride. And it was joyous to watch them sort of going up and down and, and round and about and everything. I, I must have watched it about 15 times in a row. It was just absolutely glorious. I know, I know um, it well. Yeah, yeah. It was so, <laughs> so good, yeah. <laughs> and finally, talking about videos, um, YouTube has removed – well, they're not quite removed. The dislike button will still be there, and people can still click the dislike button. But in the public domain, uh, the individuals won't be able to see how many dislikes a video has. It's only the actual video producer who will be able to see that. Now, apparently, it's a thing on YouTube that people can get – dislike campaigns mounted against them where for whatever vindictive reason people might have they'll just get everybody to hit the dislike button on your video and, and obviously that can be quite demoralizing now the thing is if you're a victim of that sort of attack and you can still see the dislike count i'm not see really seeing how this helps uh, but at least i guess it, it, it the rest of the public can't see it so maybe it's a halfway there in reality, I've never seen the need for a dislike button. YouTube will say that actually, you know, if you get a, f a thousand likes and a hundred dislikes, it all actually just counts towards the algorithm thinking that this is a video that people want to watch, whether they like it or not. So they're saying it doesn't matter. But I guess in a world where mental health is supposed to be such an important thing, I don't think we should be giving people the ability to hit a dislike button on something. What is interesting is, based on the videos that I watch, well, which are primarily in and around the subject that we cover on Two Geeks and Martin podcasts, I will say that the number of dislikes is such a small, small percentage mm -hmm. of the, the views and, and, and the likes. I, it reminds me of a news that you and I shared a few months ago with regard to Instagram, considering removing all form of mm. dashboard information, as I would call it. You know, so literally, you would see a um, an image or a video on an Instagram and there would be no reference to its popularity or, or lack of mm. in an attempt to, like you said, A, invite people to consider watching and 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 liking a photo without necessarily being swayed by the kind of the established you know, reaction. And I, and I do wonder whether in the spirit of what YouTube's going to do, I would like to see their efforts on the comments a lot more than on the like and dislike button because I think on occasion, which is something we're going to cover very soon, particularly you know under some form of pseudonym or anonymity, people put some very nasty comments, and I think this yes. is where they could work harder. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting, but to your point. Um, why would you want to spend time watching a video till the end and, and decide you don't like it? Why don't you just leave and yeah. leave that as the barometer for the um, publisher to go, oh, that's interesting. On this four-minute video, uh, people stay for those, those 30 seconds. It means they wasn't for them. But at least you know it gives you that uh, data, which is, I think is more helpful than just like and dislikes. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. So once again, Pascal, a great set of news items. And again, we could have talked about some of the others. Maybe that, that Rolls-Royce one, the, uh, the, the, we'll come back to that as yeah. they continue to develop. That sounds absolutely fascinating. But for now, let's shine our spotlight on some content and move on to the content spotlight section of the show. 
and in this section of the show pascal and i bring to the table a piece of content it could be a video it could be a blog it could be an audio and we shine our spotlight on it so pascal what have you got for us this week right so i've got an article from theguardian.com and the title is as follows what to expect from the online safety bill by oh. dan milmo now, two things. I discovered in a process that The Guardian have a weekly newsletter called Tech Space. So if you are like Roger and I, very interested in tech, in business, and in, in life, then that could be worthy of your consideration. But in terms of this article, this is something that you and I have brought up in the news section, in fact. The way in which governments around the world are putting pressure on the platforms search engines and social networks to essentially make the internet a much safer place. And this online safety bill has been almost overshadowed by other news like Brexit and COP26 and and, and more, COVID in particular. But what has happened is in September stroke October, there's been many, many meetings from our UK MPs and peers in and around the content of this online safety bill. And whilst this is a serious matter, and I apologize in advance for what the um, the tone of of this um, account of the article. It is of vital importance that we, as users of the internet, but also business owners, take view on what is happening because we have to be part of the solution. So very, very quickly, the online safety bill is essentially pressure on the likes of Facebook, Google, and many others to have a duty of care to protect all of us from harmful content at all ages and stages of our life. And the result of not applying duty of care would be substantial fines from Ofcom. Very, very quickly, the article will give you lots of details on the link in the show notes, but the duty of care is threefold, preventing the what they call the proliferation of illegal content and activities, the dark web is one of one of them. You could argue they can control that, but on their own platform, there should be no material in and around hate crime, child pornography, and so on. That's number one. Number two, very importantly, ensuring that our children are not exposed to harmful or inappropriate content. The third one, which is where it has been more difficult, is for the big players or the platform to ensure that we as adults are protected from legal but harmful content. And the issue there, Roger, is about how to define something that is harmful. The, the, the committee would be publishing the, the results of their deliberations. They've had um, what they call the witnesses and, and others to talk to them. But on the 10th of December, there would be the result of what the UK is going to do moving forward. There are three elements that is expected to be part of the bill. Um, the establishment of a permanent joint committee, cross-party committee, to oversee the act and the execution of the act, but also to support Ofcom and other authorities to do their work. There definitely will be criminal sanctions for both users who are publishing the content and the executive of those platforms who are allowing the content to be visible to users. There was a very, very scathing remark by the cultural secretary, Nadine Doris, addressing directly Facebook and Nick Clegg, who is the communications chief for Facebook, saying to them, basically, sort out your algorithm and why don't you spend time away from the metaverse and concentrate on the real world? Uh, that must have hurt a little, but, you know, the truth is always very, very hurtful. Now, for users who are publishing content that is deemed to be harmful or leading to, to harm, 
Three um, sanctions, criminal sanctions, will include fines and time imprisoned. If you are sending messages that convey a threat or se of serious harm, such as threatening someone of, of, of harm or death, as we've seen some of our politicians being uh, attacked on that and others, then you will be deemed to be a criminal uh, act. If you're posting misinformation back to your comment in the news, that is also something that would be deemed to be a criminal um, activity. And if you are sending a post or a message to somebody else intending to cause harm without reasonable excuse, you will be um, essentially taken care of. Some critics of the bill say that it's not going far enough. For example, uh, fake advertising, um, which is uh, according to Martin Lewis, you know, the money saving expert.com guy, is urging the government to include advertising and fake advertising in the bill, but we don't think it's going to happen. They say that there is another authority than Ofcom. We don't think that Ofcom would be given enough power to investigate for themselves. What's going to happen, Roger, is that the platform would be the one to provide the paperwork but not to have an uh, investigation. But the one thing that the bill needs to include, and there's going to be, I think, a lot of demonstrations around it, is the tackling of anonymity. And there is a campaign group called Clean Up the Internet that says 72% of all those kind of nefarious activities come from anonymous accounts, people who are hiding behind fake identity and pseudonyms. And if we want to really make this work, you've got to put a stop to people having a Twitter account or Facebook account and so on behind a uh, false identity. So there's more in, in this article, but I wanted to kind of bring it up because it, we mentioned this in the news a few weeks and months ago, and it is so important and it's going to have such ramification in our uh, activities as businesses in terms of promoting ourselves on those platforms. This is really interesting, and, and we could spend the rest of the whole podcast talking mm. about this. Um, I mean, I, I agree again about the identity thing. You know, a, a lot of people, uh, you know, aspire to get one of these blue ticks, don't they, on on Twitter, a, a, a so-called verified account. And and the reality is, everybody could have a blue tick if we verified our account by showing our something like a passport or a driving license or something like that. But I think that, you know, some of the bad things about the internet are directly as a result of people with anonymous accounts, keyboard mm. warriors being able to troll people. And, and I'm really quite pleased, to be honest, that there is this striving to bring some of these tech giants to account and, and facebook is probably one of the, or meta is probably one of the the biggest culprits at the moment interestingly enough the other night i started watching a youtube video where gary vaynerchuk gary vaynerchuk was interviewing mark zuckerberg mm -hmm. about the bloody metaverse and honestly pascal i had to turn it off i i <laughs> after about three or four minutes i genuinely couldn't watch it Gary V was just his usual sweary self talking about NFTs and blah, 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 blah. And Zuckerberg is he, he's, he's just, there's just something really creepy about the guy. Um, and, and, and he was talking this utter, utter gobbledygook and techno babble about the metaverse, which was just absolutely wrong. And I just had to turn it off. So this article is absolutely right. Stop going on about the metaverse and get your house in order before you take yourself further forward. Yeah, absolutely. So once again, I think it's such an important subject um, we, we brought it. But let's see if we can lighten the mood with your selection for content spotlights.
Yeah, this is a bit different, this one, Pascal. And and it's actually almost like a list post. It's um, it, it's an article in Smashing Magazine, which is a fabulous name for a magazine, Smashing Magazine. And it's written by Freya Giles. And the title is 50 Resources and Tools to Turbocharge Your Copywriting Skills. Now, I came across this article because recently I, 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 have to, I write a, um, a, a column for Money Marketing Magazine. It's only once a quarter, so I don't have to do it that often but the one i wrote recently was about product innovation and it got a real it it, it got quite a lot of attention and quite a lot of complimentary comments came through to it so i started thinking really being quite positive about copywriting and i came across this article and as it says 50 resources and it's a real treasure trove of stuff pascal um i mean I, I i could spend the next 20 minutes or so going through all 50 of these suggestions and we all obviously haven't got time to do that but if you do any form of writing for any of your um, clients or your own business just check this article out because there will be something in it that you will find useful unfortunately what freya does is she she collects together these 50 apps into different categories so for example the first category is brushing up on your language skills you know things like using punctuation properly and uh, there's, there's there's grammar common errors in english that sort of thing the second uh category if you like is one right after my own heart master plain english so again lots of examples here from the likes of the plain english campaign how you can cut the claptrap and the gobbledygook and the bloated language out of your copy style and then there are the other sections understanding style guides and brand voice that's the next category the category after that is crafting the perfect heading the next category is cram with easy online copywriting guides the next category is get guidance from literary greats so here you're talking about how george orwell was writing how stephen king writes how ernest hemingway writes and then we go into dipping with bite-sized tips next category browse the best copywriting blogs and here she points attention to the likes of copy blogger and pro blogger who are you know websites that we will all have read in the past and and, and i could go on pascal but the link is in the show notes honestly this article will have you clicking on so many links and you might actually be prepared to spend an hour <laughs> or two seriously there's so many good links from this article in one place that it's almost necessary to bookmark it and keep coming back to it so freya giles um smashing magazine absolutely fabulous treasure trove of copywriting content do you know i love the fact that it was also linked to literature because that's absolutely the way it should be. And, and I've not seen that link made um, often enough, I, I reckon. Recently, I was invited to attend a networking event. It was an online event. And I made the point around content creation that we are all creatures of habits. And mm -hmm. what this article can do is just disrupt you a little to kind yes. of challenge yourself and go, do you know, I've been writing in that way or I've been speaking in that way or I've been creating content in a particular way. 
What about if I, just for my own benefit and to also feel excited again about content creation for next year potentially, why don't I, you know, turbocharge, look at new resources, read a book again, but with the, you know, with a, an eye on the style and the construct of sentences and paragraphs. I think it's brilliant. Well done, Roger. Yeah, fantastic. So as always, we get so much inspiration from our content spotlights. So Pascal, how about we shift the emphasis now to technology and we'll move on to the next section of the show, which is marketing tech and apps. And in this section of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table apps and technology that have grabbed our attention over the last week or so. So Pascal, what are you bringing to us today? So this week, I'm bringing something that is maybe a slight indication about the surprising side and the future of video marketing, where AI is kind of part and parcel of the experience. So two platforms, one which leaves me a little perplexed, and I call my to get your, your reaction, and one which I, I'm so pleased I discovered for this reason. <laughs> so the first one is around this idea of video creation where you want to be able to present something, but maybe you don't have access to you know, presenters as such, or maybe you want to create a different experience. And there is a company called Synthesia.io who has spent probably hours, if not weeks and months, creating recordings of real individuals. And they have captured every single syllables and consonants and vowels, which means that literally what you can do, Roger, is type the text and then an AI presenter, which is a recording of a real person, will... Um, speak the words that you have written but they can also speak in more than 40 different languages so they are called avatars they're called video uh, ai presenters and whilst i'm super impressed with the technology it reminds me a bit of what google did many many years ago with um, their own kind of smart, smart speakers and and so on it, if it's just a bit creepy that you can have people that look very real and maybe that's why it's a little creepy that can address you act the words that you've written but it's all fake but is it the future in so much as instead of having to book an actor or if you don't feel like doing it yourself, um, that's what you're going to be doing? For me, I would like to make sure that if I go on the website and there is a presenter that looks very, very real to me, that there is actually indication that this is an avatar or this is a virtual assistant. If we go into the territory of misleading people, I wouldn't be too impressed. So that's the first one. The second one is in and around this idea of you have maybe a promotional video that you recorded some time ago, and all you have access to, Roger, is the finished edited product. So you have voice, mm -hmm. you have music, you have maybe sound effects and so on, and you want to change the video. But the problem that you have, Roger, as you know, is that the music and the voice and the effects are all kind of all into one file, where there is an app called lalal.ai, spelled L-A-L-A-L, -L -A -L, that can literally extract and split voice, 
music, sound effects into different tracks, which allow you then to use the voice into a brand new video that you can edit and then you can change the music and you can change the sound effects. And this one I find very impressive because I've had requests from customers who have had the promotional videos that maybe I produced actually myself many, many years ago. And all we have truthfully is the finished product. We don't we no longer have the separate files and that would really, really save the day on many occasions. So that one, I'm very, very impressed. The first one, I'm just a little weird about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, that second one, fantastic. I mean, I'm just thinking here, some of the early Rog vlogs that I did, I no longer have the separate files. So if I ever needed to go back and recreate some of that, that would be phenomenal to strip out the the audio and the, and the video. The first one, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Do you know what came into my head as you were describing that was a was an old TV program called Max Headroom. Oh my god, yes, yes. That? And it was a sort of it, a, a very I'm sure it was animated at the time as a sort of avatar thing. And another thing that came to my head was was a, a program called R Rapido. Now, I'm 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 trying I'm struggling to remember that the the uh, presenter was someone something like Antoine de Cohn uh, or something like that. French presenter Antoine de Cohn, yes. Yeah. Antoine de Cohn, and he used to go rapido, and that was just the the image that came to my head was something going. Bup, 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 bup. So yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to check it out to see whether I'd I'd want to have those uh, avatars actually presenting my stuff. So yeah, I think I'm I'm the same with you. Slightly dubious about the first one, but excited about the second one. My picks this week are. It is quite simple. I've been listening to the radio again recently. Um, I came across, and this was on Twitter, an, a radio station, a UK radio station, which is called Mad Wasp Radio. Okay. I'm going to say that again, Mad Wasp Radio. And th their logo is just phenomenal. Obviously, it's got a wasp in it, and, and the, the wasp seriously does look mad. Uh, what I like about this radio station is that they do combine classic tracks that I would like, so quite a lot of rock stuff in there. But they're also spotlighting uh, new acts as well. And I think one of the things that I constantly find by being a Spotify person is that Spotify has this ability to make you narrow down your your enjoyment to a very narrow selection of tracks because what you end up doing is just listening to the same stuff. And like every year, Spotify will give you, this is what you listen to most of in 2021 or 2019. And what do you do? You start listening to that list again, and then it narrows it down again. Whereas what Mad Wasp Radio are doing is actually widening, widening things out and getting you to experience new things. So what this prompted me to do was to review the apps that I use to listen to the radio because if I'm driving the car obviously I've got a radio on the car but I couldn't actually find I'm sure it's there but I couldn't actually find Mad Wasp radio on my car um, radio station thing so I, I looked for apps to download now the best radio app that I can find on the app store and I don't know whether this applies to the uh, the, the Android store as well is a simple app called Radio UK and there are over 2,000 radio stations, including all the ones you would expect, like BBC, etc., plus Mad Wasp, Mad Wasp Radio. And this app, radio app, was the best in terms of features, the ability to create lists, the ability to create favourites. But there is also a Mad Wasp Radio app of its own. And I guess the reason why I highlighted this is, first of all, 
here's the radio app where with 12 20 with 2000 radio stations on it and then here's an app with just one and i did wonder why would you go for the individual single radio station app as opposed to one which has has 2000s now obviously the mad wasp radio has things specific to that channel and they do run um competitions and that sort of thing so that's quite nice there's the extra content but i guess overall i'd probably go for the app which gives me the widest reach what do you think i like the idea of a sense uh, what we know in and around mobile phones and apps is about creating your own identity mm-hmm. and people will choose the single app ashley roger as a form of loyalty the same way yes. you choose a particular car a particular pair of jeans a particular pair of trainers and so on and for you your mobile phone is such an intimate now uh, item it's part of who you are and to say i've got the mad wasp app on my phone and not yeah. the other one is part of how you want to you know, communicate with yourself in the wilder world. So uh, I'm just so excited for them as well. Yeah, it's really, really good. And as we always say, the technology is what shapes the world that we live in. But what we have to do from time to time is to look back in time to see how these pioneers led us to where we are today in our technology-rich world. So, Pascal, as always, let's fire up the flux capacitor, set the controls of the TARDIS, and head back in time for This Week in History. In 1969, Commander Charles Conrad and Lieutenant Commander Alan Bean make a perfect moon landing on the Ocean of Storms. Apollo 12 mission was the name, and one of the objectives, Roger, was to recover the Surveyor 3 probe sent in April 67. In 1982, The Visitors, an album by ABBA, becomes the world's first commercial music compact disc CD, manufactured in Germany by Polygram Records. Wow. Well, in 1996, US patent 5579430 is granted to the Fraunhofer Institute in Germany for a digital encoding process known as MP3. And in 2006, Nintendo releases the Wii game console with its innovative motion-sensitive controller. It quickly becomes the best-selling seventh-generation console with games such as Mario Kart, Wii Sports, Wii Fit, and Resident Evil 4. And I always thought that if there was a game console called the Wii, there should have been one called the Pooh as well. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love the Wii. It was such a great game to play with friends, you know, when they came to visit you. The seventh generation console, though, that's just mad, isn't it? It's ridiculous, yeah. Tell me a bit more about Apollo 12. Yes, as I was reading this, so much information was coming into my head and nearly stumbled a few uh, across a few bits. But I wanted to kind of bring it up because it is just fascinating to me that everyone talks about Apollo 11 and 13, but nobody talks about number 12. Yeah. And number 12 was is still full of drama like all the others and whatever. Mm. So let me tell you why Apollo 12 is just an incredible mission to begin with. Just before launch, they had a hydrogen tank leaking, and they had to literally repair it quickly so that not to miss the miss the the time uh, of you know launching to space and getting to the moon. Whilst they were traveling towards the moon and still in the atmosphere, the um, kind of um, capsule, you could argue, got hit by lightning. 
Oof. Once they were on the moon, inside the, um, the, the, the satellite bit, there was a fire. And so it went on. There was just so many incidents. Frankly, it's a miracle that they came back. And it's just fascinating to me that people would just know about 11, the first one. They know the date and they would tell you where they were and so on. I mean, this was still also transmitted on TV. But mm. the, the public just wasn't interested and and yet it's just a remarkable achievement once again because frankly there was there's more computing power in a Wii and the games that we played playing Mario Kart than what they could do with regard to controlling the, their flight into both the atmosphere and into space and it, I just feel almost um, I don't know a little sad and and more importantly they also had a proper job which was to recover probes that have been sent years and years before. Uh, and it's just f fascinating to me that people don't know as much as perhaps we should about those different Apollo missions. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I have to put my hand on my heart and say that I didn't know about this. I would have focused on 11 and 13, as you pointed out. Mm -hmm. So thank you for <laughs> widening <laughs> my knowledge and horizons. So I just wanted to quickly highlight this issue of the CD, the first CD, the first CD was was the ABBA album, The Visitors, l released in 1982. Now, of course, the big news is that ABBA have just, re -re just released a new album, the first since that one, The Visitors in 1982. The Voyage, which was released this year, 2021, nearly 40 years later, uh, has come out and obviously mainly on the digitals as opposed to the CD. Um, and it's great. It's amazing that, that that those people can still produce music of the same sort of quality as they did 40 years ago. But I guess the question I was going to ask you, Pascal, was what was your first CD that you bought as opposed to an LP vinyl record? Yeah, actually, um, I was a late adopter of the CDs only because I had just this fondness of, of the LPs. And my very, very first CD was the double album by Prince, Sign of the Times. Ah, and right. um, I, 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 because it was double album, so it felt very, very special. But but also, but but to that point, though, I, I still bought singles leading up. To, because remember in the days, in the 80s, for Eurovision listeners, you had singles before the album was released. And yeah. so I remember buying the singles as um, records and then eventually bought bought the, uh, the double CD. So that was the first one. So that would take us into the 85, 86 years, I reckon. Yeah. And I'm remembering my, my first CD that I bought was um, Dire Straits, Brothers in Arms. Mm. And I'm trying to remember, I should have done a bit of research on this, but each CD originally had a little um, set of three letters in the bottom corner, and it was the, the Dire Straits was DDD. So everything about that album was digital. It was recorded digitally, it was mixed digitally, and I can't remember what the third bit was. But if you bought an album on CD that maybe had been recorded earlier, so an album from the 70s, for example, it might have been a... DD, so it was recorded in analog, but then they've created a digital version of it. And I always remember that at the time, it was the absolute best if you could find an album which was DDD. I don't really That's think right. they, they bother with that anymore, but it's there, there's a bit of a memory that came back to me. 
what for me the, the the pleasure of buying my first record with my own pocket money by you, doing chores around the house was you took time to look at the the artwork you, you really took time to choose one because you can only afford one album a month yes. maybe if that um, yes and i remember the pleasure of discovering what the artist and the, the marketing team had created and crafted and i mean the sign of the times one whilst i bought the cd because i wanted to be able to listen to it myself the full lp was just glorious in terms of the photography and the calligraphy and everything that that they did interestingly yesterday with denise we were watching a program on freeview called masters of rock and mm. it was looking at, at the 80s interestingly we watched it for a couple of hours and um there was at least four or five music from Genesis, which I thought was very, <laughs> very telling. And there was all, all, all the kind of rock bands, including Prince, was actually um, featured there. And we were just reminiscing about the albums and the LPs and, and the artwork. And, and I think that's certainly a big, big miss when now you mm. could just download or go online and, and buy your tracks to go put on your phone or another device. Yeah, I agree. Some, some, of, the, some of the joyous artwork that you used to get, um, some of those almost like fantasy art, um, uh, artwork that used to be produced for rock album covers was just phenomenal. So once again, lots of really interesting stuff happening in history, but time now, I think, Pascal, to bring ourselves back into the present and let's talk about some creators close to our hearts. So the next section of the show is the creator shout-outs. And of course, in this section of the show, we give a shout out to creators, sometimes from our own network, sometimes from outside. So Pascal, who is your shout out this week? So the shout out is actually a reaction to our conversation over the past few weeks about the metaverse. And I just want to let people know that, of course, you should be interested. Of course, you should look into it. But you should go to the source. You should be listening to people who actually know what they're talking about. <laughs> and I've been involved in the world of VR and AR for a very, very long time. I've been following from a distance the VR and AR Association. And I'm glad to say that they have a podcast, which I deep in and out of, to inform myself, and particularly I have an eye and, and uh, I would say ears in and around the world of marketing. But the VRNA Association look at all aspects of health, of um, industry, of lifestyle, of entertainment, and so on, and the impact of VR and AR. VR and AR the real name, name I would give to the metaverse. They have a podcast which is called Everything VR and AR, which is hosted by Tyler Gates and Sofia Mushasha, which is a fantastic uh, surname. It is produced, as you'll hear, because it's so, so good, by Teddy McGrave, Robert Doe, and Vicky Sweet. And interestingly, the very last one I listened to was from a UK company involved in in the VR and ER kind of uh, subject matter. And, and to me, that's what you have to do uh, with respect, Roger. Don't listen to people who've discovered it recently or get overexcited. Listen to those who've been working in the industry for many years indeed. So you've got the link in the show notes, everyone, you know, for that podcast. And I just want to kind of say this is your, your job now to inform yourself and educate yourself, but just go past the headline. I will give a go to you know articles that are published more recently but my preference would be to go once again to authorities and passionate individuals have been working in this domain for quite some time so everything vr and ar the weekly podcast that you should all be listening to yeah of course you have to do this because 
as you would expect, now the metaverse is big news. There are so many metaverse experts out there who probably about two or three weeks ago were Clubhouse experts or Twitter Spaces experts, but they've now jumped onto mm. the latest bandwagon and, and probably are selling metaverse courses for $97. But these guys <laughs> know what they're talking about. Now, the shout out that I wanted to give today is actually for a gentleman that I met when I was speaking at a conference in Belgrade in Serbia a couple of years ago, Nemanja Zivkovic. Now, he has a podcast called The Funky Marketing Show. And what a great name for a podcast. And do you know how they always say that sometimes you need to get inspiration by looking outside of your industry? Uh, I remember reading a fabulous article about how um, one of the airports in the UK revolutionized their queuing lines within security and within check-in by having a look at how Disney arranged the queue lines for their rides at the Disney theme parks. And I think sometimes you have to look outside of your industry. But what this reminded me of is that sometimes you should actually look to other countries and other cultures and other cities to get inspiration. And I've listened to a number of episodes of this podcast. And what's great about it is that, of course, the themes are marketing. And of course, the themes are things that we understand. But as you would expect, they use different examples of different companies, some of which I've never heard of obviously because i don't live in serbia but i think the inspiration you can get by by stepping outside of your your usual cultural comfort zone and listen to other people talking about it is phenomenal so i've i've sort of dipped in and out of this podcast ever since i met the guy at that conference but i hope people might just give it a little try and see whether you can be inspired by things that are happening in another country Superb selections again for the creative mm. shout outs. Really pleased with that. Mm. Yeah. So, Pascal, we said this at the start and now we're here. It's time for the film marketing part of the show, one of my favorite parts of the show. And we're going to talk about X Files, I want to believe. Well, of course, Pascal, The X-Files was probably one of the sensations of the 90s, one of the most popular TV series ever. Uh, I think they, they transmitted about nine different series of the, of the TV show, and there were a couple of films. I think, if I remember rightly, there was one released in 1998. And the one we're going to talk about today, The X-Files, I Want to Believe, was it released in 2008. So let's remind ourselves what it was all about by watching the trailer. I had a vision. I see a woman's face. I hear dogs barking. They're out there. you in because I valued your belief in this phenomenon. I'm not the most popular girl at the FBI right now. Scully? Mulder. Father Joe claims a psychic connection. So you believe in these sort of things? Let's just say I want to believe. Don't give up. You see them? I see eyes staring out. My visions were God's work. Maybe it's not God doing the sending. See. Father Joe? 
chasing monsters in the dark. It's here. I need you on this with me. It's here. So, Pascal, I am a massive, massive X-Files fan. The family, my wife and I, watched all the episodes. I even went to the trouble, I think I've said this before on the show, that at the time of the uh, massive, massive cliffhanger of the second series, um, the third series started in America about two months before the UK got to see it. I actually had my sister in America record the first episode of the show on a VHS cassette. She then sent me that VHS cassette over from the States. I then had to go to a specialized video video shop at the time who converted the video, the VHS cassette from NTSC, which is the US broadcast standard to the UK PAL broadcast standard so that we could actually watch that episode. So those, that was the trouble we went to, to watch the X-Files. Now, I haven't actually seen this film until a couple of nights ago. You told me that this was going to be our focus for this week, so I had to watch the film. And whilst I thoroughly enjoyed it, and as always, Dukovny and uh, Gillian Anderson's performances were fantastic, I'm not actually sure it felt like an X-Files film. I thought the plot didn't include any of the UFO mythology. There wasn't a monster of the week in it. And, and apart from a little bit of maybe psychic ability of the of the priest, it was just a normal crime film. And I just sat there thinking, actually, they could have had any male and female actors playing detectives, and this could have just been a run-of-the-mill detective drama. Am I being a bit cruel? Not at all. I mean, once again, who is not a fan of the X Family? To be honest <laughs> with you, you cannot be friends with Roger and I if you're not. I mean, it defined the 90s. And for me, it was almost discovering once again what it meant to be a fan. I mean, it was shown in the UK every Tuesday evening. And we just couldn't wait, you and I, uh, Denise, Trish, and all the others, we couldn't wait for the opening credits, you know, that music from Mark Snow, that montage, which was actually won a few awards back back in the days. And we were just drawn into the adventures of Mulder and Scully, which also featured in, in the song. We had the pleasure, all of us, to follow them across nine seasons. And then mm -hmm. this film came about, and then two additional seasons, which sadly were only exclusively shown on the Fox uh, kind of uh, digital channel. So it took a while, and now we're lucky because we have everything on Disney+. Plus. But mm -hmm. the X-Files, I want to believe, two things. Nobody knew it was coming. They only had a at best three- to four-week marketing campaign, and this marketing campaign was... Okay. So, of course, if you're a big fan, you went to see the film. And because of the phrase, I want to believe, people thought, oh, brilliant. This is a follow-up from the, the, the real the thread of the series, but also of the 98 movie. Because you'll know, everybody knows, I want to believe were the words on the poster in Fox Mulder's office where you had the picture of a UFO. So your feelings and reaction were pretty much what I had when in 2008 when you see the film, which was a pleasure to see your heroes on the big screen again, but thinking, oh, I wanted a UFO story. 
And I think what we can discuss, of course, you and I in a moment is could have could have been could they have been more inventive and just create the right marketing campaign so that people knew what they were letting themselves into? I think I think a lot of people might have been disappointed had they gone to the cinema expecting the monster of the week or expecting the UFO mythology um, subplot to, to carry on. And they would have come out thinking, just like I did, well, actually, that could have just been a, um, a standard detective thriller set in a snowy environment in, a, in, in America. It could have just been anybody. Um, I mean, I, I, we still had the characters. We still had yeah. the, the, uh, the rapport. That was fantastic. But I do think that maybe they should have injected more science fiction into it or more horror into it or they or there should have been some sort of monster rather than just it was effectively just an organ trafficking story wasn't it uh, absolutely uh, so if we think about 2008 you know we are quite some years into uh, the, the internet we, we, we there's a, a fandom that they can rely on which is global it was a global phenomenon and okay so they had a all right poster with a strap line to find the truth you must believe. But if I was to be a little critical, that poster to me looks a lot like what you would do to sell the film to distributors as opposed to market the film to film goers. But, um, you know, must move on from being overly critical. I think for me, everyone agreed, including film critics and, and bloggers and so on, that the relationship between Mulder and Scully was superbly explored and people got, got a lot out of it. At the time, they released a book using actually some of the early artwork artwork of the poster. But the one thing that did make the, the movie stand out was the British group band Uncle created mm. a brand new version of the famous theme music for the end credits. And what a track it is. I mean, mm. it, it brings in you know, a bit more techno. It brings some uh, kind of string instruments. And it's actually still very, very much a pleasure to, to listen to. They had a website. We know that. Um, we did a fair job for 2008. And they had, obviously, the trailers. They had gallery uh, of photography for uh, bloggers and more to talk about. They had a download section for things like screensavers. And also, that, took, that takes us back, your iAIM icon. So your instant messenger icon could have been an <laughs> X-Files one as well as an email signature. And they had some blog section and the community chat. So all this is kind of described superbly by this uh, film critic called Chris Thilk, who runs the Movie Marketing Madness blog. Um, but for me, quite honestly, I just think the marketing campaign, bear in mind how we feel as fans, was far too short, far too simplistic in general. Yeah, and, and as, as you say, that poster, To Find the Truth You Must Believe, hinted at a lot more than we actually got. Uh, I think. And as, as you say, the marketing campaign was so spectacularly underwhelming that I didn't even know the film existed. <laughs> that's, that's what, that's why, that's why we never went to see it, which, uh, and, and, and hence why I haven't actually seen it until this week when you, you um, suggested we talk about this. So what would we have done, Pascal, if Ooh. we had been back in 2007 and this film was ready to go should we hop into the delorean again and go back in time and suggest what we might have done differently wow so you're saying that you and i are going to do like a back to the future cheat we're going to go back <laughs> in time armed with the knowledge of reviewing to the tune of 55 56 movies and we're going to yeah. tell chris carter what to do or oh, please let's do that 
<laughs> I mean, the thing the thing is, is that we know that this film came out around the same time as The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. and and I think and they think in fact that the, the Dark Knight has been accused of of, of actually um, creating the the hype that deflected people away from the X-Files. But I, I don't buy that. I think that they could have done a lot more. Um, and, you know, what, what would what would we have done differently, Pascal? Okay, so we've prepared a, a bit of a, of a list. You're not going to be in, going to that meeting prepared. So first thing that we would <laughs> yeah. say to Chris and the others is you should really split your target audience and just have some very precise and, and tightly focused mini campaigns, very much like you and I would have learned from Lord of the Rings yesterday and even the movie Blade. Although we can't yeah. mention them because, of course, they've been out in 2007. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think of much, much greater and varied social media activities. You know, I think at the time there was it was it was so so lackluster. You know, mm. look at the, look at films like Nomadland and recently The Invisible Man and Us. You know, that film that we talked about on the show a while back. They could have really saturated the social. And okay, you could argue that this was early in the in the social media days of Facebook and Twitter. But wow, if they'd have really focused it on those social media platforms at the time, they could have created much more anticipation. In particularly when they did such a good job on the official website, which is sadly no yeah. longer with us. I, I hate that when they remove those websites. For me, as I mentioned a moment ago, I think the poster had to be more iconic or even just yeah. more intriguing with elements mm-hmm. you know, that fans could just riff off as they would have, like Jaws, for example, or Misery. Yeah. And, you know... Actually, if you watch the film, there was there was several. There was the main plot about the organ trafficking, but there was the subplot again of Mulder thinking about his um, his daughter, his, his um, sister Samantha, who had been um, taken away by aliens. Then you also had the subplot of Scully. She's gone back to being a doctor. There was a terminally ill child that she was looking after, and she was she was struggling with a decision as to whether to try and give him this revolutionary treatment which we knew was going to be very very painful but could could have saved the child's life so they could have done different versions of the trailer maybe focusing in on each of the subplots of the film in addition to having an overall uh trailer which uh, had the you know the bigger threads in it yeah, like we've seen you nine things like The Mist or Silence of the Lambs, even The Matrix. Yeah. Um, for me, the one thing that – you mentioned The Dark Knight uh, a moment ago – and what they should have done, and I would recommend if, if we were having a meeting with Chris, Chris Carter, I would have created a official, inverted commas, official FBI website, and I would be inviting the public to help me find Fox Mulder because this is one of the thread of the movie. Can you imagine yeah. getting people to follow hints or maybe to we could send regular updates with some alleged you know, FBI um, officers uh, asking people to be careful or to you know reveal more about where Fox Mulder might be. That would have been just magical. And then on the flip side, almost using the 10 Cloverfield Lane um, kind of uh, experience, create a hidden website, but which is mm-hmm. easy to find, where Dana and Fox are communicating with each other and leaving hints for the fans. You could even even listen to you know, audio recordings. You could maybe ring a number where Fox Mulder would give you some clues. I mean, you could have created such a universe within within that. 
Yeah, and and again, taking that even further, you, you, they could have recorded testimonies and accounts from witnesses. Characters from the film could have done, you know, <laughs> extra shots. Um, I think the danger of us going back and creating a massively big, bigger marketing campaign like this is the film could still turn have turned out to be very disappointing, <laughs> given the <laughs> massive amount of marketing that uh, Edwards and uh, Fintoni have, have put onto it. But you know, again, thinking about what they did with the Martian. You know, organized charity screenings at the uh, FBI HQ and other official buildings. Let's bring the mythos into the real world. For me, the one that I would love to have um, been part of uh, organizing, do you remember the Tremor War? When in Tremor War, Mm -hmm. they organized kind of Comic-Con takeovers almost, where they had a big vehicle with allegedly the the creatures inside. So go to Comic-Con, send FBI agents, you know, send the men in black, and literally interrogate attendees of Comic-Con with photos of Fox Mulder and ask them, have you seen this man? And maybe organize some fake interrogation booth where you you are being interrogated by the FBI, but it's recorded. You can send that on social media to all your friends. I mean, you could have had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, and and another great idea would have been, you know, have have some sort of fan requested best scene or best episode from the X-Files and then actually get... David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson to do a live reading of the script and stream it across social media. And that's something similar to what they did with The Princess Bride and The Goonies. But uh, I, I, that would have been, again, creating oh, a lot of in, uh, anticipation around that. I think for me, the one that they could have done better, uh, bear in mind the, the mythology around the X-Files, l- like all franchises, they have like a special day of the year. And mm-hmm. we reviewed quite early on, actually, in this podcast, Wonder Woman 84, where mm-hmm. on Wonder Woman Day, they have the special mm-hmm. events. So for the X-Files, the 13th of October is X-Files Day around the world. So you could have done some a special release of teaser trailer. You could have had, again, a bit of a treasure hunt. You could have had some behind-the-scenes photo and just you know could then go live potentially on social media to answer fans questions like they did with the woman in black where they had andrew radcliffe uh, answering um question and and i think once again it's back to this idea of it's already there right there in front of you chris carter just maximize it yeah yeah and i mean you could do all sorts of other things we could have had live twitter reddit takeovers mm more fan questions inviting um in, inviting people to the sets of the film oh, um, yeah, i think yeah. i think i think you know the music that you mentioned you know the new version of the uh, of the x-files theme by uncle that uk band again give people access to that in advance and invite them to create their own footage you know create their own version of the trailer for examples but that would have got the music out there right early on and got people used to the new mix and created excitement around that because it is an amazing track uh, and we might even put the, the link in, in the show notes but you're right and you could have had a competition in partnership with the likes of Rode or Adobe or Sony or in, in this case uh, Fox I love the idea of inviting people on the set and almost allowing them to do a bit of um, behind the scenes uh, footage uh, that's what they did for memory with the Lord of the Rings yeah they invited people uh, from bloggers to film critics uh, uh, for one day to, to kind of have a look around yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting now, we've sat here and talked about all of these things. If time travel really existed and we would have been able to go back in time and we'd given him all these ideas, would there have been a sort of shh moment here where all of a sudden we'll have been saying, do you know, 
X-Files, I want to believe, had one of the best marketing campaigns for a f- film <laughs> in the history of films. What an incredible marketing campaign. And uh, it was all down to Edwards and Fintoni's advice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the, the, the many, many examples of online competition you have mentioned on the show from uh, you know editing your own trailer using the video clips of the trailer so you could re organizing on the clips and so on there's been countless examples of quizzes and leaderboards you've had people voting for favorite episodes scariest episodes funniest stories and more importantly being asked the questions do you believe and people sharing their personal stories um there's been countless examples across different franchises where people have organized watch parties get-togethers x-file events and you could send photos and the best one to be selected by you know david decovery and julian anderson and you get a prize and so it goes on and i think for me the thread through you and i giving chris carter all the advice in 2007 is that you had an established global uh, presence and following and you chose not to lean on that. And secondly, you had amazing assets, you know, the music, the, 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 the photography, moving images and so on. And once again, you didn't exploit it fully. And it's easy for you and I to, in 2021, to be critical. We don't know what the constraints were. But it still remains that for something like the X-Files, to only give yourself the better, better part of four weeks to market it, but also to use a phrase like, I want to believe, but to not give the fans a UFO-type setting, then for, that, for those reasons, you had to make your marketing more ingenious and more innovative. Absolutely, Pascal. Wow, I'm absolutely exhausted. I'm absolutely exhausted. I really enjoyed that. That was a different angle, wasn't it? Because we're admitting that the marketing of this film was pretty poor, uh, and they did definitely miss a trick by not including the UFO mythology or a monster of the week type of of storyline. But it was very, very interesting to think what we would have done to make that marketing campaign so much more impressive. So, wow. Another fabulous episode, episode 59 of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast. Pascal, thank you, as always, for being an amazing co-host. We've really covered some fabulous ground this week, apps and content unbelievable thank you everybody for watching or listening to the show if you've got any comments let us know do please subscribe to the youtube channel let us have some comments give us some likes and maybe give us some dislikes as well Uh, and let's look forward to another episode number 60 coming to you very soon so until the next episode please make sure that your marketing is done right I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Hunter.